Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. Reading and Living the Psalms from Kiev. This is episode 104 of Church in Maine. Welcome to Church in Maine, the podcast that's at the intersection of faith and modern life. We are a podcast that deals with religion and public affairs, and I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Well, I'm recording this portion of the podcast on Independence Day. Um, That is the day here in the United States that we celebrate the signing of the Declaration of Independence from Britain. Our nation is an imperfect one, but we're thankful for the freedoms that we have as Americans, and we give thanks for those who fought hard to extend those freedoms, especially to groups that lacked it. Freedom is a fragile thing, and I think, at least for me, that's coming more into focus as our nation is dealing with several threats to our democracy, such as the January 6th assault on the U.S. Capitol. On February 24th, 2022, the nation of Ukraine was invaded by Russia. And since then, Ukraine has been under brutal assault by its larger neighbor, which basically wants to erase the nation off the map. Ukraine is a budding democracy, something that is threatening to an authoritarian Russia that is run by President Vladimir Putin. In an environment where your city and your nation is under attack, where you're seeing increasing suffering and where your basic freedom is threatened day after day after day, you might look to scripture for for succor. For Fyodor Rakhinets, a professor at the Ukrainian Evangelical Theological Seminary in Kyiv, you go to the Psalms. Well, actually, to be more precise, You go to the Psalms, but you also write the Psalms. Since the fighting began, Fyodor has written a daily digest of life in Ukraine in a time of war and suffering on Facebook. Each post is a way to tell friends around the world that he's okay, but it's also a way for him to share his feelings at what the war is doing and has done to his homeland. Like a psalm psalm that is written against an enemy, Fyodor asks each day for salvation against a savage enemy and a prayer for Ukraine. And I wanted to share some of his Facebook posts. This one comes from the 63rd day in Ukraine, and he writes, 
everything is blooming and green at Kiev, and with more and more people out and enjoying the beauty of spring in spite of what's all going around. Well, we are here trying to cope every day with emotions, but what we have seen and heard from what has happened in, in Buka and other cities in the Kiev region, carefully fixing all the military crimes of Putin's horde, the great bunker commander, last week, not his decree, but last week. The fact that it is the same brigade that got famous for their special atrocities in Buka. It was the military of this brigade that marked the destruction of civilians' homes, infrastructure, looting, robbery, rape, torture, and deliberate killings. The aggressor's decree is about mass heroism and courage, resilience of the soldiers of this brigade who defended the homeland and state interests. I want to ask, what was the heroism and courage of this pack of looters? From what or from whom and what homeland did they defend in Buka? What state interests were they pursuing here? Torturing and killing innocent Ukrainians, raping women, and plundering other people's property. What were these the state interests in Buka? That was their heroism and courage? What kind of army is this? And if a country rewards military for looting and violence of civilians in the name of public interest, then something is wrong with this country and army. And this is from the 118th day, his entry from that day. Yesterday in Kiev and, after, and afternoon and evening, a siren was heard, a lasting siren, warning of the air alarm. The warnings did not turn out to be in vain. The Russian horde launched 14 powerful missile strikes in the south of the country. An ideology that carries destruction and death cannot and has no future. Their future is in a perverted interpretation of the past that, li that lives itself today in the destruction of someone else by destroying herself. Such ideology cannot have a future because it kills and destroys the very future on its way. Or as Jürgen Moltmann put it eloquently, God without future generates a future without God. And finally, this from the 129th day. The 19th Sabbath without Shalom, a very difficult week behind, a week of rocket terror on the side of the race of the Russian horde, a week when we did not have time to leave one shock, pain and powerless to change anything. And we were already waiting for the next one. It has to end somehow, sooner or later, but better soon. I am very impressed by Francis Fukuyama's opinion that all of this will end suddenly, a catastrophic collapse for the Putin empire. War is evil, and people who plan and start and wage wars are the servants of evil. On Sabbath, Lovers of wars should be reminded of the simple spiritual principle of sowing and, har and harvest. He who sow evil, hatred, destruction, and poverty will reap the same, and he who sow the wind reap the storm. All those who doubt the validity of this principle, because they have not yet caught up, must understand that it is a spiritual principle. 
Therefore, the physical world, it does not operate on physical principles. It works not the way you expected it to and not when you expected it. It just happens suddenly, not the way you wanted it to, but it works 100% tested by time. In this episode, Theodore and I will talk about life in Kiev and about suffering, both suffering in the Bible and suffering in Ukraine and the Psalms. All of this in the context of being the largest, of being in the middle of the largest land war in Europe since World War II. So here is Theodore Rakainetz. Well, Theodore, I'm thankful that you were able to take the time um, to chat this um, this day. I think I wanted to just kind of start off um, talking about what is life like in um, Kiev now that it's not what it was in the early days of the war, but obviously it's not normal either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as as you probably know, that uh, war war has uh, different phases. Mm -hmm. uh, so there is a an intensive phase uh, when shooting is going on, uh, and, and uh, so uh, we are now in Kiev. I would say at the second phase mm -hmm. when shooting is not going on. Uh, on daily basis, but the missiles would still um, come from time to time. Like last Sunday, uh, three missiles were uh, aimed at Kiev, but they were shut down by air defense uh, system. Uh, so that's the life looks like, you know, when people are trying to recover after the, uh, the heavy uh destruction mm -hmm. but they are not uh hasting to rebuild everything because they don't know what what may come next so uh people are afraid to they would clean up things around the house but they are not uh, sure whether they should start the renovation or rebuilding process and so on and so forth so that's in Kiev, that, that is probably the situation of a phase two. Uh, we hope that there will be a phase three when we will start to rebuild our lives, renovate our houses, uh, and, and so on and so forth. And people will cope with the tragedy in other way. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the moment, yes, this is probably the phase second, uh, but uh, we as a team of volunteers, we are trying to also to help in the eastern parts of Ukraine, where they are still in the phase one, uh, mm -hmm. where the heavy fighting is taking place and a lot of destruction, a lot of killing and violence is taking place. So just uh, last week we went to Slavyansk, Kramatorsk, Bakhmut. Uh, these are the places where it is 
at the moment uh, a kind of intensive uh, military confrontation is taking place between Russians and, and, and our military forces. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, uh, though in Kiev it became more um, more peaceful but not safe, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, we would s- still do some humanitarian work here but we would also travel to the east in order to help our brothers and sisters there, there as well because the need is not greater it is more urgent uh, there than here uh, here the, the great the, the need is also great but it, it is a different kind of need you know now mm-hmm. so uh, and there is a more you know you have to provide more basic kind of things water Mm-hmm. food, uh, generators for electricity and stuff like that. Mm. So and, and you've kind of kind of talked a little bit about that already, but what has the um, humanitarian work in the East kind of entailed? Um, has it been basically food aid? Has it been other, other forms of assistance? Uh, yes, so the, the, we have kind of three uh, major goals as we travel there. First, that's a provision of basic uh, meals. Uh, I mean, food, medicine, water, uh, generators for electricity. These are for the people who are suffering from war. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second uh, aim is uh, that we are trying to visit our soldiers just to encourage them, just to pray with them, just Mm -hmm. to tell them how much we appreciate the fact that they are trying to defend us, to defend our land and not to let the enemy to get further uh, Mm -hmm. or deeper into the the land. Uh, So, um, and then there is a third uh, uh, kind of, track uh, we are helping to people to be evacuated from that area uh, either to more safe places in Ukraine or to help them to get out of the country further to Europe uh, we have some connections with the Norway or Norwegian government mm-hmm. so we help people to those who are ready to to be evacuated or those who want to be evacuated or those who have no means to be evacuated uh, to bring them further into the country and then uh, through negotiation with the government of Norway we help them to go further uh, because there is a, a governmental program that helps refugees from Ukraine uh, to get to different European countries such as Germany, Norway, uh, Poland, uh, Czech Republic, and other countries. So the humanitarian aid to the people who suffer, the encouragement and prayers for military to soldiers, and then to help to, to evacuate those who, who are ready to be evacuated from very dangerous uh, zones. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually just listening to uh, 
your interview with uh, Miroslav Volf um, from a few months ago. And I was... Yeah, that, that was just in the beginning, yes. Yeah, we yeah. had a very hot phase here in Kiev. So mm -hmm. the uh, situation was uh, very different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I was actually kind of curious, I mean, how has your outlook, especially on faith, on, um, you know, kind of even just on life in general have changed from that early time um, in March to, to now? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yes, I already had today an interview in the morning. So I've, I've shared a bit of that. Um, uh, let me, yeah, let me put it into into this way. Um, uh, my friends who knows that I'm uh, sympathetic to pacifism, mm -hmm. they keep teasing me about that uh, at this time. So I think that um, in this uh, direction, my theological um, views would be not, not changed, but provoke, challenged, mm -hmm. uh, um, rethink. Uh, the other thing that uh, I was kind of striked uh, recently uh, is that somehow I, I never paid attention to this in the Bible, but uh, these days, I'm kind of trying to think that um, that the Bible allows us to think that in the image of a neighbor, enemy may come. Mm. But in the image of the stranger, Christ may visit us. Mm -hmm. And to make a further step in my thinking, uh, I was just recalling from all these months of war, uh, how many times Christ would visit me in the face of a stranger. Mm -hmm. And whether I was, and whether through me, to many strangers that I helped Christ visit them. Or in the way as we visited so many people with the humanitarian aid, and they were just strangers to us. I never met them before, and who knows whether I will ever met them again in the life. But through this encounter of strangers, Christ uh, been present, or Christ visited them. So. This kind of theological thing, uh, which I never noticed, because at least, uh, you know, I wrote a commentary on, on Matthew. So when I come to this um, statement of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, that you have heard, love your neighbor, but I tell you, you should love your enemy. Uh, I argue in my commentary that Christ is talking about the same kind of people. Because your potential enemy is your neighbor, mm -hmm. uh, the one you have shared something together, the one you have trust, the one you have uh, you have not been afraid to be vulnerable in front of. But then this neighbor use 
that vulnerability of yours against you and you see how suddenly it, it taking place in the family, in the churches, with your friends, how your neighbor, the one you have trust, turn immediately into an enemy. So the someone you have so passionately loved potentially can become someone you have you are so passionately hate. Mm-hmm. So basically, I am arguing that that. Christ may be talking about the same kind of person, but throwing us a challenge in a way, is there a way that someone you love and now you hate, is there a way that you can love again? Mm-hmm. You can forgive again. You can be reconciled again. You, can, uh, you, you give a chance to the person who have betrayed you another chance in life. Uh, but I never thought that, you know, I, I thought this part, but the war helped me to thought another part. When you have some stranger coming to your life, and yet through that stranger, you may experience divine care, divine comfort, divine help or assistance, and so on and so forth. So that's another kind of uh, way that my faith is uh, has been in a good way challenged and in a good way um, uh, the the war situation forced me to think mm-hmm. and then probably the third line uh, of thinking would be because of the cruel war and many people who have suffered a great a great deal, um, you know, they would ask very often questions like, where was your God and where is God in, in the midst of suffering? And, um, you know, I had, that there was a, a, a second part of our uh, conversation with, with Miroslav Wolf because he interviewed me and then I interviewed him. Oh, okay. Uh, probably a month ago or so. Okay. Uh, so that the idea we were discussing that, uh, you know, when you suffer a great deal, uh, God is in someone that comes into the midst of that suffering to make your suffering less difficult, mm-hmm. you know? So as uh, yesterday, I had a meeting with the Archbishop of the Roman uh, Catholic Church uh, of Ukraine, so he, he he phrased it in a different way. He says that whenever people come nowadays in the Roman Catholic Church in Kiev, and would ask, uh, "Where is God in the midst of our suffering?" So he said, "I would point to the cross, and I would say, well, that's that's where He is. He is mm-hmm. suffering with you on the cross.'" So this probably these three kind of direction of thinking. Um, to re- rethink my sympathetic take on the pacifism, uh, to see that potentially God visits you in the face of a stranger and that the enemy may come in the face of your neighbor mm-hmm. as it happened in, in our situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that uh, the God is still in the midst of your suffering when someone makes that suffering lighter or easier to be carried. 
Yeah, I've been actually following, um, obviously following your posts on Facebook. And I think one of the things I, I found... I get tired of them, you know? <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> can I, I can because, understand. you know, it's... it's it's to post it. Well, I, 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 if I would know that war would take that long, I would not write it, you know? Yeah, I know. Well, yes. hopefully it won't. But now because so many friends are, if I am late in the morning, they start to worry about me, whether uh, I'm okay. okay. So I have to keep posting them, you know? Uh, okay. Kind of like a proof of life that you're still, still <laughs> yes, around. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, there were a few mornings when I was, uh, well, you know, you are not always in a good mood, especially when the war is uh, out. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was kind of late with them. Uh, so I, I would get too many messages uh, of my friends around the world just asking, are you okay? Are you alive? You know, so, <laughs> yeah. So and some of them would say that the, the moment the post is there, they, they know that I'm okay. So that, mm -hmm. that's a kind of a message to them. Wow. Yeah, even without reading it, you know, just mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I, I think what's fascinating about those posts is that you really do wrestle with a lot of the what you're talking about, talking about what does it mean to to love an enemy, um, yeah. especially after all the horrors that have been going on. Um, and I think that that's something that, at least personally, I've appreciated is. Um, that you're trying to kind of work this out as you are living through all of this and that um, faith is not something, it's not so always, it's so simple. Um, mm -hmm. So, and I think the other thing you, and you've brought this up in, in those um, posts, it reminds me a lot about the Psalms. And um, I always like to say when I was younger, I never understood the Psalms until I got older and lived enough life. You know, um, Dennis, in yeah. that second part of the interview with, with Miroslav Wolf, uh -huh. uh, um, I, I, I asked him, I said, okay, uh, what would be your message to my friends, to, to Ukrainians who are now undergoing through this, um, you know, trial? Uh, and I was expecting from him, you know, a deep theological, you know, thought. And I was so impressed by his naivety when he simply referred to the Psalm 22, or, or mm -hmm. sorry, 23 in, in English Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. Yep. And I was so struck by it. And I said, you know what? Uh, and then I confessed to him. I said that prior to, actually not to war, but prior to the loss of my wife uh, mm -hmm. because of the COVID, uh, I never liked reading Psalms. Hmm. I that would be the book in the Bible that I would rarely, not just read, but either even refer to. Mm -hmm. But the loss of my wife, and then the uh, the grieving period, and then the war. I somehow turn to this book and find so much comfort uh, and so much encouragement and so much of struggle uh, in this book. And that's what I make a kind of tradition in my posting that every Sunday, instead of a worship, I would just refer to one of the Psalms mm -hmm. in, 
in the Bible that would somehow that day resonate with my inner kind of state, you know, that's mm. where I would be or I would struggle the same kind of things that the psalmist is struggling in that psalm and, and so forth. And I said to Miroslav Wolf that I I just fell in love with, with this with this part of the Bible, which I somehow um, ignored, you know. Mm-hmm. I know that's not a good thing to say for pastor and theologian <laughs> or some parts of the Bible, but that's what happened, uh, at least in my case. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's true. You know, what did you think, or what do you think is the message of the Psalms? now that you've kind of gone through all of this and, and experienced in some ways the Psalms in your own life? Well, now you will get the theological answer to this. Uh, <laughs> I think that the message of this book is, uh, is as follows. You have to see it from the, uh, in the light of the first Psalm and in the light of the concluding Psalm. Because it says that in the first Psalm, it says that if you live this kind of life, it will result in the state of worship, Mm -hmm. of doxology. Mm -hmm. But then in order to live this kind of life, you will have to go through all these possible emotions that are in between Psalm 1st and Psalm 150. And that is, this is the Psalms of thanks, because there are times in your life when you are thankful, I mean, consciously, deeply thankful. Well, then there will be times of joy when you will rejoice because you will realize something, you will recognize something, you will... Well, there will be uh, psalms of cry, of lament, because that's also an integral part of your life. Well, there will be psalms of curse, not just blessing, but of curse. When you will be so outraged by the things that are taking place in your life or around you, that there is no other way how you can express your emotions or your state. But the curse should not be the last thing in your life. Mm-hmm. No, that's like in Jesus's, the hatred cannot be the last. Unforgiveness cannot be the last. Disappointment, uh, you know, there should be something else. So that's how I read the book of Psalms. You know, there is this, the way that God suggests. Uh, and it leads you there. But in between, you know, you have all kinds of uh, trials, joys, blessings, curse, everything. Because that's what the, the diversity and the abundance of life is all about. So that's a very realistic book. Mm. It gives you, you know, it gives you this um, plethora of emotions, mm-hmm. of, of, of uh, experiences. 
in which even in the curse, because I think that these are the therapeutic psalms, uh, because you have to release the negative emotions. You have to find a way. And you know what God suggests us in the book of Psalms? He says, you know, you can always release it to me. Mm. Uh, because if you release it somewhere else, that's a wrong. Especially mm -hmm. when you release them toward those who are less powerful than you, who are less advantaged than you, who have a lower uh, social class than you, you know, so that's that's surely a wrong direction to release this negative emotion. But that's what the people do. They want to release them in the safe zone, you know. Mm -hmm. They want to release them where they will not be attacked. So they normally use them in the safe zone where they are among the people who are either have nothing to do with the thing or they are more vulnerable than you and they will not attack you but God says you can always release it to me I, I will I know how to cope with them you know mm. so that's how I read this especially the Psalms of Curse and I think that that's that that is the best ther therapy uh, that you can even or some psychologist would ever invent you know yeah I you know because the cursing Psalms are always you know the hardest ones to deal with but yes because you you cannot compare them to jesus's teaching you know you, no. you these are some words you know you you say you know do you mean this in the bible you know but i you know there is this hermeneutical principle which says that if the rest of the bible is divine words directed to you then the book of some are our words directed to god so mm -hmm. so that's what we have to understand you know well related to that is and, and thinking about like you know psalm 22 and mm -hmm. when jesus utters those words from the cross what how do you think your understanding of the cross and of jesus suffering how has that changed in light of the war well, that's that's exactly what I preached just recently because uh, you know many things that Jesus stated in the Gospels we thought that that originates with Jesus, but it originated in the Old Testament. So I was I was saying uh, that I am so glad that my experience is uh, is nothing new in this world, you know. So whenever I cry out, God, my oh my God, why have you forsaken me? There are so many people who have cried that cry before me. Mm -hmm. So when Jesus is on the cross, he says, well, now I have to uh, experience the same thing that David experienced in the Psalm 22. Uh, and, 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 and that experience uh, does not make him... Um, less divine or or uh, less human it, it is just um make him understandable to me even more mm -hmm. because yes he has gone through many different experiences which we are going through but that even that one you know mm -hmm. when you are betrayed by your friends and you ask them whether you love me, you know, as he will ask after the resurrection, Peter, do you love me? You know, 
And I, my reading of that passage is, is always, I said, that's not the passage about Jesus questioning the Peter's love to him. This is the text of reaffirming Peter that though you have betrayed me, I trust you. Hmm. I trust you so much that I am trusting my sheep to you. And the best way to show your love to others when you are trusting them something that is yours. So instead of, well, actually Jesus is asking Peter about love, but he's asking him in order to demonstrate him the love that he cannot even imagine. And the Peter's, Peter's problem is what, what is our problem? Because we think that the Bible was written in order that we would believe in God. I think that the Bible is written that we would believe that he believes in us despite of any, any circumstances that we, we can find ourselves. And that's the Peter's problem. Peter's problem that how can you believe in me after my betrayal of you? And he says, well, that's exactly what, what is happening. So now I go back to the statement of Jesus. You know, you have heard that you should love your neighbor. Well, you should love your end. That's exactly the logic that I was, uh, I was talking to you previously. Mm-hmm. When you can give a, a second chance to a person, when you can, despite what have taken place, uh, uh, you say, okay, I, I, I will do it again. Let's try it again. And that's when the miracle happens in the in the relationships between people. So when you um, you actually were a student of um, Professor Volt in, in Croatia yes. in the 90s. Um, and of course, that was during the time of the war wars in the Balkans. Yes, we were discussing his book Exclusion and Embrace when it was just an idea. Wow. In the classroom, yes. So how do you think that that experience um, prepared you for what you're dealing with now? Oh, that's a good thing. Uh, I think, uh, well, you see, I spent five years in Croatia as a student, and then I spent seven years as a missionary in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Okay. Uh, so I had both experience of war and experience of a post-war situation. And, and I think that at least in my case, uh, it prepared me well to this situation. And between Bosnia and our current war, I was also involved in many conflict situations like uh, conflict between Kyrgyzstan and Uzbekistan. Mm-hmm. Um, so that prepared me well to understand what the war looks like. And that's why I stayed, you know, when so many friends uh, departed from Kiev, I said, no, I will stay here because I know that the war is not just the front line. It is a rare front as well. And in a rare front, there is more needs. It may sound paradoxically, but every military expert would tell you that the rare is 90% important. The front line is 10% important. Hmm. So uh, yes, because those who are on the front line, they need to feel that these 90% appreciate what they do, Mm -hmm. support them in what they are doing. And now most important, support their family 
as they are there. And that's what we were doing a lot in the first days of war in Kiev. We were supporting families of those who send their sons, fathers, um, husbands to the front line. And the family stayed behind and they had no one to take care of them. So we did take care of them. And then they need this uh, just, just faith in, in, in that that supports them. So that's, yeah, that many people would not recognize that. They think that war is just about killing. No, it is not just about killing. It is more about walking with those who suffer, helping to those who happen to be in a great need, taking care of many um, needs uh, that those who went to fight would naturally take care, but they are now there defending your homeland. Uh, so I think that having the Balkan experience, having the experience of Central Asia, they prepared me to understand war in a, in a slightly different way. And that's why prior to the war, during the first months of the war, I said, well, I will stay and I have a lot of work to do, though I will not go to the front line to find because, well, that's, I don't think that's my job. Mm -hmm. So I think it was maybe late April, early May that the world kind of started to know a little bit about what was going on just outside of Kiev in places like um, Bucha. Yeah, Bucha, and, yeah. Mm -hmm. and I, I read some of your writings about that and, um, kind of dealing with how do you confront and deal with evil? And in reading some of the, the, the stories I read from the New York Times and from other places, there was a lot of evil going on um, in, those, in, in those towns. What did you experience? What stories did you hear from that? And what did that do to your faith? Can you repeat, Dennis, a question? Because I, there is some bad internet connection. So I, I, I did not hear the question. Yeah, sorry. I, I was just going to say, experiencing all that you experienced, especially when you've visited um, in those mm -hmm. towns like Buka, what, and, and dealing and confronting evil, kind of what did you experience and how did that affect your faith? Well, I don't know whether you know or not, but uh, I'm one of the pastor of the churches in Bucha, or uh, okay. as you call it, Buka. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, um, well, you see, my understanding of war is that uh, there are flip sides of the war. On the one side, you have this uh, concentrated evil. On the other side is that you have, because of it, you have this concentrated suffering of people. Mm -hmm. uh, which war uh, causes. Uh, so but there are different sides of that war. You have to face either evil confronting it or you, you face the consequences of that evil, which is the, the suffering of people. Uh, well, we were able to enter the the Bucha first time on the 4th of, it was deoccupied on the March 30th and we were able to, to enter it first on the 4th of April 
because uh, there were mines everywhere. So mm. the sapers would work, would take their work, and then we could we could go there. So what we face there is a massive distraction, an immense um, cruel, barbaric violence, but we just saw the results of it. So we saw the results of that evil and the people who have suffered it. So our reaction was how in the world we can now help these people to cope with it. And tell you the truth, I have still no idea how to cope with it and how to help the people to cope with it. But I know one thing that my presence in the midst of their suffering, that's what matters. Mm -hmm. Um, My attempt to help them to to deal with the hatred that they have, the unforgiveness that they have, all these questions towards God that they have, is not simply to interact, giving them a counter-argument, a counter-reality. But as I listen to them, I always ask myself, how can I not argue with them, but lead them with my presence, with my help to an understanding that I would like them to have on the situation? Because hatred doesn't help. Unforgiveness doesn't help. First of all, to them. They cannot run after these Russians. They cannot pay them back, but they have to live with it. So what is the way to live with it when you cannot, you know, retribute or pay it back? So, so what is the way to, to live these emotions out and somehow to be restored? So that's my, that's my question. And in every concrete situation that the approach may be different. So there is no universal answer to all these people because they are unique. And in every unique situation, there is a story. And as you listen to this story, you pray to God to give you wisdom within this concrete story to find a way out of it, mm-hmm. you know? So even if you have a successful example it means nothing. Your next example may be a complete failure. So you cannot rely on success as you cannot rely on a failure. Well, we will all fail, but that's something you learn and you go further. I find it interesting that you talk about um, how you can't really give into hatred, but you also talk about not giving into forgiveness. and I know I, unforgiveness. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, th- that, that's kind of interesting and fascinating to kind of talk about that and how do you. Well, I think it's, it's somehow interrelated. Yes. Oh, they, yeah, they are definitely. Hmm. So in dealing with this, you, one of the things that I've learned about this conflict is how much religion plays in both sides, Um, especially in Russia um, and especially through the um, parts of the Russian Orthodox Church, especially the the Patriarch of Moscow um, and kind of that 
it seems almost to me a distortion of the faith um, to justify what is going on. Um, how do you combat that? Um, well, I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, people like either to praise religion or to uh, condemn religion. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that uh, it depends on how you um, take how you take it because religion can really help you to become a whole person mm -hmm. or religion may help you to cover your impartiality mm -hmm. uh, and um, I think that for religious people, the most difficult thing is to um, to be open to God, not just to once change your perception of life, but to this continuous permanent process of rethinking your life. Hmm. Uh, and that's why, you know, the mystics used to say that what is this, uh, what is the uh, stamping block in my understanding of God? Well, is my, that's my understanding of God. So sometimes our understanding of God is so, uh, it, 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 as Thomas Merton liked to say, it speaks more of you than of God, you know. So your God is more like you than you are li more like your God. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, uh, I think Bernard Shaw was uh, the one who said it, that God created us in his own image and we pay him back. So what we did, we, we created him in our own image, you know. Uh, so re religion can be both. Uh, religion can be when you are striving that you would become more like your God mm -hmm. or religion can be when you are making your God looking more like you. Uh, and that's how I, I, I react to it. Uh, so when you are imposing inflictions on others people uh, in the name of God, uh, does it mean that that's how the God look like or that's how your God look like? Uh, you know, I always joke that uh, the, the question that I like most in the theological uh, seminary is that when a student of the first or the second year or the third year comes into my office with the statement, Professor, I have lost my faith in seminary, or I lost my faith in God. So I'm so glad that they come to me with this question because I, oh, I immediately counter, you have lost faith in what kind of God? Hmm. Well, if you have lost faith in God, of your perception with which you came to seminary, and then the seminary three courses and professor begin to expand that perception of God 
and that expansion process make you feel discomfortable about your God, then I said, welcome. We are doing our job very good in the seminary. <laughs> we help you to grow in your knowledge of God and growth, as you know, can be painful. Mm -hmm. So if that's what is taking place, then okay, welcome to our club because that's what we are doing here. Mm. So that, I, I don't know whether I have answered your question, but that would be the, the direction that I would take, but in every concrete situation, it would have its, uh, its wording because you have to know with what kind of person are you talking. Is this uh, an agnostic? Is this a believer? Is this a person that struggle with faith? So you have to find a proper wording, a proper approach to this person so that you would not just talk to him from your tower, but you would talk to him in, 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 in the way that he can understand or she can understand what you are trying to communicate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, Interesting in the history of, of African-Americans, how much, um, especially in the South, um, especially among whites, that there was kind of a, how God, they created God in their own image. Yeah. Um, and, and but at the same time, the, we did yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, and you see the religion can be also an imposition Mm -hmm. of my perception of God on others. And that is a painful. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the only way you can impose it is, is through violent way. Mm -hmm. But religion is also the other thing, the, the other direction when you can share your God uh, in, yes, in a limited way, but through your action, through your love and reception of the otherness of other person. He says, "Well, that is impressive. That is encouraging. That is help, uh, helpful and hopeful." Yeah. For the other person. And and both are religions, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think especially kind of going back historically for African Americans, we identified with you know the the people of Israel, especially when they were enslaved in Egypt. Um, and I think yeah, showing the story that of era, resonates. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that care of, of love and, and sharing for the other, I think, makes a difference. Or may, hopefully, I've made, made a difference to those who had a very different image of God. Yeah. 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 Well, I've, I've read uh, many sermons of uh, Martin Luther King, you know. So mm -hmm. I'm looking even for the books where I have a collection. Oh, yes. Here it is. I purchased this book in Atlanta. In, in, oh, okay. In, in the church where he used to preach. Oh, at Ebenezer, okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think kind of going forward. Um, I have 12 more minutes, Dennis, no, sorry, no. because I have to go to the church meeting. I, yeah. I understand. And I actually yeah. was just, this is what was going to be a wrapping up question. It's, um, a, it's a joy to <laughs> converse with you, but there is... No, I know, and you have you have your life, and I, I yeah. totally get that. So, I think maybe the last question that I would have is, what message do you would you like to share 
to the rest of the world, especially here in the United States, but in other parts of the world about you, about Ukraine, about the about faith and all of that? Well, the message I would like to share with, with well, first of all, I would like to thank all of you uh, and the many, many, many Americans who are uh, helpful in so many different ways. Uh, and we sense that, we appreciate that, and we want you to know how much we appreciate um, spiritual support, financial support, uh, material support, tangible when you when you when you feel that support. You know, that's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, I know that uh, nowadays in the media the interest does not last long. And we know, at least that's what the media would say here, that um, currently the news about Ukraine and the war in Ukraine, um, 20% is less covered in the news media than it used to in the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would like just to remind you and those who, who will watch you that war is not over. Uh, it is still in a very difficult uh, phase and we don't know when it will end. And we still need that assistance that we have experienced, that help, that uh, the prayerful support, the spiritual support, uh, as we did uh, three months ago. Uh, and then the third thing is that... Uh, uh, your government uh, is, uh, and your country basically, is, is uh, a great ally uh, with Ukraine in this fight for, for just cause. And we, uh, we would like to get more, it's, now it's a very uh, provocative statement, okay? I, I warn you uh, to, to hear from a pastor and from a, a theologian, we need some more um, military support from your country, not to attack, not to offend, mm -hmm. but to defend ourselves. Mm -hmm. And the fourth notion is that if Ukraine lost this war, all this democratic liberal ideology will collapse with it completely. And then the world will think that the only way to run this world is to be aggressive, to be violent, to be cruel, and no rules, no principles do not work in this world. And that's what I think may be a great disappointment to many people who have stated the right cause throughout the history and who are staking in, uh, and who are on this track uh, nowadays. And as you know, uh, um, Dennis, uh, that's what uh, the, the African people have experienced, uh, African-American people experience in, 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 in US. Mm -hmm. So that is something that we are fighting for. We are fighting for values. We are fighting for freedom. We are fighting for the right to choose 
to be who we are called to be. And sometimes uh, war, as I said it in yesterday's post, that uh, I found in this world war that it is not just anti-human, it is demonic. Mm-hmm. Because it inverses all that is good, all that is um, godly, all that is human, all that is pro-life. It destroys it all. And that's what we are afraid that we cannot, we cannot lose because then um, disappointment will be just uh, immense. Yeah, indeed. Well, that's that's what I would uh, what I would uh, say to your listeners, to your viewers, uh, to those who, uh, to your churches, and then um, yeah, just stay with us because we need it. It's hard, definitely. Yeah, it's hard to fight alone with the giant. That's that's what you have to understand, mm-hmm. and the biblical. Uh, narration that would uh, ring the bell is David standing against Goliath. Mm-hmm. So we have to find a different way of thinking in order to overcome the Goliath. Yes, We cannot overcome him by the same means he fights us. There should be a different means to counter that, that power. Well, Fyodor, thank you. This was a thank great Thank you, Dennis. It was a pleasure to talk to you. It's a pleasure to talk to you and um, definitely keep in touch. I will definitely be keeping in touch with you as well. So thank you. God bless you. And, Blessings uh, on you, safe. Dennis, and, and yours. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. close out this episode of just a reminder um, check out the new website for the podcast since the podcast has changed its name there is also a new website and you can find it at churchandmain.org and there you'll find um, again episodes that are there also um, hopefully we'll be able to put some more things on our blog um, that you can read and find out I also wanted to end this episode with the words that Fyodor uses to close out his daily journal. The exact words change slightly day to day, basically based on the context. The meaning stays the same. So I wanted this to um, to share this. Hopefully it can be a prayer for the people of Ukraine. So this is what Fyodor writes. God save us in Ukraine. Protect the protectors of ours. Heal and heal the wounded. Inspire and give strength to those who serve the victims. Stop the destroyer of all that is human and good. 
and all the rest are friends, God willing, after the victory. That is it for this episode of Church in Maine. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Thank you again for listening. Take care, Godspeed, and we will see you very soon. Mm-hmm.